Hello, everyone. Good evening. It is seven o'clock. I will now call to order this regular meeting, October 12th, 2022, of the Kirkland Park Board. Recording Secretary, will you please call roll? You say here when I say your name. Park member Amy Ambrosini. Here. Board member Tammy Cohen. Board member Tessa Hansen. Here. Board member Crystal Simpson. Here. Board member Roshan Parikh. Vice Chair Mike Holland. Here. Chair Amanda Judd. Here. And the staff present this evening are Parks and Community Services Director Lynn Swagstra, Deputy Director John Lloyd, Park Planning and Development Manager Mary Gardaki, Parks Operations Manager Jason Thailand, Recreation Manager Sarah Schellenbarger, Management Analyst Hilary De La Cruz, and Recording Secretary Heather Lance Brazil. Thank you, Heather. Uh, a quorum is present. Park Board Member Tessa Hansen will now read the land acknowledgement for us. We acknowledge that the Southern Salish Sea region lies on the unceded and ancestral land of the Coast Salish peoples, the Duwamish, Muckleshoot, Puyallup, Skykomish, Snoqualmie, Snohomish, Skuwamish, and Tulalip tribes and other tribes of the Puget Sound Salish people and that present day city of Kirkland is in the traditional heartland of the lake people and the river people. We honor with gratitude the land itself, the first people who have reserved treaty rights and continue to live here since time immemorial and their ancestral heritage. You're on mute. Thank you. Thank you, Tessa. Um, who would like to read the land acknowledgement at our next meeting? I can do that, Amanda. I think I'm overdue from last month. Yes, thank you so much. Um, okay, I will now open the items from audience. It looks like, Heather, correct me if I'm wrong, there are no additional attendees. That's correct. Okay, so we will move on to approval of the minutes. The September 14th, 2022 minutes of uh, draft has been distributed in our board packet. Are there any corrections or amendments to the minutes? No. I'm hearing none, the minutes are approved as presented. I will now open the business items portion of the meeting. Oh wait, actually, I forgot something before we move into business. I want to lift up a very important piece of information. Today is a very special day. It is Heather's birthday and she is spending it here on a late night with us. And so I want to just say happy birthday, Heather, and thank you on behalf of the park board. You are phenomenal. You are the glue that keeps us together. You keep us organized. You keep us on all of the information, you are superhuman and we appreciate, I appreciate you so much. So thank you and happy birthday. Thanks so much. Happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, Evan. Couldn't okay. say it better myself. Okay, so now I will open the business items portion of the meeting. 
the first item of business is a ballot measure update. Um, John, I think I'll turn the time over to you first, correct? Yeah, I'll just give a quick introduction. Um, so everyone, we've last month we presented, or Lynn gave you a ballot measure overview. Um, as I said, we're going to kind of make this one of the standing items just to keep you guys informed of the progress that we're um, making and all the work that's going on behind the scenes. Um, so I would like to introduce, because she hasn't been to Park Board before, um, Hillary De La Cruz. She's the management analyst um, that we've hired specifically to kind of herd all the cats together um, to make sure that we're getting everything done that we need to get done um, for PFAC. So, so I asked her to give an update on the where we're at with PFAC, as well as kind of a roadmap that um where we're where we're going so you all kind of can connect that out so with that i'll turn it over to hillary so she can go for it great thanks john and i had to find my unmute button um it's really good to be here with everyone i've um, watched a number of your park board meetings in the past and so it's good to be here live time together um, and thanks John for that introduction like John mentioned I'm the management analyst for parks and community services working with our city manager and our director on all things related to the ballot measure and so tonight um, just want to be kind of giving a brief update of where we are um, since you've had you had an update last month the first thing I just wanted to talk about on tonight is the members that we have and then give a really brief update about the meetings the first two meetings we've had our third meeting is tomorrow night and then talk through the PFEC process roadmap which is actually an exercise we did with the PFEC members last meeting and it was really helpful um, in kind of setting the stage for all the work we're doing so we wanted to make sure that um, part board members got to hear that as well so really quickly just sharing um, we currently have 45 PFEC members which is a good group um, 22 of those members are from organizations that council specifically was asking for um, to send a representative from and then 23 members were selected through an open application process and we have a pretty good range of folks in the group which is um, great to see and everyone has been really engaged so far is asking good questions and is interested in the work and so we are um, enjoying the work of this group that has committed a lot of time to be part of this process so at our first PFAC meeting we had 40 members um, and really this was kind of a introduction meeting get to know one another we were in Juanita Beach Park which was um, as you can see here we had kind of a picnic setting which was a really great thing to be able to start our meetings off in a park um, we did a tour of Juanita Beach Park to be able to see an example of this recently renovated park um, and also kind of show and point out the land on the north end of Juanita Beach which has not been um, updated and PVAC members got to learn from a number of our different staff uh, we had kind of small group tours so there are a lot of staff opportunities to share about playgrounds natural areas and the picnic shelter um, and you can see here council member curtis um, who's chairing pfec also gave some remarks and is walking along PFEC with pfec members in the process um, our next meeting was two weeks ago and we toured peter kirk park and community center we were really focusing specifically on that tour on going to the pool lee johnson field and looking around inside the community center as well as the park overall um, and then we also provided community uh, the pfec members lynn shared a department overview and high level information about the pcs budget um, 
good questions came out of that, including interest in the Capital Improvement Program or CIP, what that is, how the list is so long. Um, so there's lots of engagement around kind of what, what are we going to be talking about later on. And then we went through the um, PFEC roadmap process that I'll share in a moment. Just one other thing I wanted to share that you might find interesting. Um, we as staff are making sure that we're writing down and noting any questions that PFEC members ask either during a meeting or before and after and write, um, writing up. We're providing answers when we're able in, on, in the moment, but we're also writing up those answers for everyone to be able to have with them as they're working through the process later on. And our second meeting garnered about 100 questions. So people really are engaged. Um, and some of those were pretty simple and easy to answer fact questions. And Jason and his team kind of, and Sarah and her team also did some fact checks for me. Um, but those are just kind of showing people really are interested in what's going on. And so now I just want to talk through um, the PFEC process roadmap that we shared with PFEC last week. And really what this is talking about is what does success look like for PFEC and how do we get there or how does PFEC get there? So ultimately, at the end of February, PFEC will provide recommendations to City Council about whether they should place a ballot measure or measures on the 20, November 2023 ballot, and if so, what the recommended capital elements and operating elements are, and the recommended funding mechanisms or mechanisms to cover the costs. And Council will use PFEC's recommendations and deliberate to ultimately decide what to do. And Council would need to decide what to do by the end of July 2023 at the latest to meet the filing um, dates for the November 2023 ballot. We shared this with PFEC, and I realized I did not send this out in the packet um, beforehand, but I'm sure that Heather can help get this link to you for those who are interested. This is the 2012 fact um, voter fact sheet and ballot language about the 2012 levy. And really, we shared, provided this to PFEC members as an example of what the end of their work could look like should council decide to move on to a ballot measure. Um, the ballot measure language, um, which is on the left side of the screen, as you see, specified the type of funding mechanism, which was a permanent levy permanent levy lid lift and where money would go, um, in this case to restore and enhance funding for parks maintenance and beach lifeguards to maintain, renovate and enhance docks, parks, facilities, trails and play fields, and to acquire parkland and open space. Um, and then the fact sheet had a lot of other educational information that kind of let voters know what was included in this. Um, PFEG members have asked us a number of questions of, are we ourselves writing something? So we're using this as an example to say, you know, if council decides to put something on the ballot, they would take PFEG's recommendations and documents like these would be written by city council in collaboration with the city attorney's office, bond council, lawyer, and other staff to have the end product. Um, and then this is really where kind of the bulk of what I wanted to talk about, what we highlighted at the last PFEC meeting is. This is the schedule for the PFEC meetings, which I um, included in your um, packets for tonight, and I think has been shared a number of times in spaces. Um, but we are here on the third meeting is tomorrow, 1013. 
And this schedule, um, we really just wanted to highlight for everyone that it was designed to provide PFEC members with important information and tools to use while making their recommendations. And we know that different PFEC members are coming with different experiences, ranging from being major park users but not knowing much about how ballot measures function to having participated in similar city processes in the past. Um, it's important that PFEC also um, has voices and hears voices with a variety of experiences and finds ways to include voices of those who may not be present in the room, which PFEC members do by reaching out to their communities. Um, so the first three PFEC meetings and then the fifth one, because we just yesterday decided to swap um, the no October 27th and November 10th meetings um, for scheduling reasons, but the first, these kind of darker blue first four of those are designed as educational building blocks to ensure that all PFEC members can have the same solid information about current department operations and understand the complexity of parks and recreation services in general and hear feedback from the pros plan about needs and future possibilities. And then, um, like I just mentioned, we are now on October 27th, we are going to have PFAC members here from the OPSIS architecture consultants who are working on the facility feasibility study. And I know that Lynn has provided updates about that to the park board members. Um, and we're having the consultants come to this meeting in October, not because the city is already choosing an aquatic center necessarily, or because PFAC members have to choose it, but because it's a large item that takes time to cost. And so we need to give PFEC members and council and anyone who is paying attention extra good costing information about potential facilities in order to inform the PFEC decisions and recommendations. Um, and the consultants were hired to provide the costing information and create concept design plans. And so at the October 27th meeting, PFEC members will be asked to share their thoughts about the information presented, especially related to potential sites and facility size and scope. And then with that information, consultants will go forward and continue their work to develop um, types of facilities that incorporate all of the feedback to date, which also includes existing research and 2015 ARC plans, the PROS plan, and other research that park board members are well aware of. Um, and the other items, um, because it kind of the list that PFEC members are, the staff have been costing out for PFEC members is really based in the PROS plan, um, unfunded and funded CIP lists and the other recommendations in the PROS plan. And so we shared with PFEC members that other items identified as priorities in the PROS plan are significantly less complex to cost out and staff are already working on that and we'll be bringing that information to the January and February meetings. Um, and then our two December meetings, um, one of them is a tour of the Sammamish Community and Aquatic Center to see a facility in action and see kind of what these things look like. And then in December 8th, we're going to have PFEC's first major meeting all about finance with an overview of the city's budget and to provide a lot of information about property taxes and funding mechanism options. Um, this is an in-depth session that will set PFEC members up to have continued discussion in January and February about funding mechanisms because we know that property taxes are definitely confusing and we'll be re revisiting that with um, staff to make sure that everyone understands what they're making recommendations and decisions around. And then the final block of meetings in these kind of deliberation and decision-making meetings in January and February is when PFEC members will take everything they've learned and covered and move into that deliberation and decision-making time. And these are being facilitated by 
um, an outside facilitator who will guide PFAC members through the process of identifying a process for decision-making criteria to use to consider potential ballot measure elements and the path toward making a final recommendation. And at the first meeting, there will be a review of the costs of potential ballot measure elements that were named in the pros plan, um, as well as a presentation from the consultants about the facility feasibility study results. Um, and so staff will have the other elements and consultants will have the facility feasibility study results for PFEC members. And then after that, the next few meetings, our PFEC members are being asked to look at all those potential elements, which um, can, if PFEC members want, include items that are not on the pros list, um, and then to make recommendations to council about what to include in a potential ballot measure or measures and what not to include, as well as the funding mechanism types. Um, and then the last thing I just wanted to share before I'll see if anyone has questions was really that we're reminding PFEC members that at the end, they might not have a majority or they might not have a consensus recommendation and they might have a majority and a minority recommendation when the work is done. And the way that the final recommendation will be presented to council with the support of staff writing it up, will both have a majority report as well as a description of views that were not part of the majority because it's really important that all the voices are shared. Um, and so the schedule, schedule isn't 100% set in stone, as you saw by us flipping two meetings already, but we've really designed it in a way that we think will answer most of PFEC's questions and set them up to have the information they need to make decisions in January and February. Um, so that is kind of what I wanted to share here. And I think the the one other thing I'll mention is just that we um, have been updating on the um, parks ballot measure website, which is on our PCS website, um, with some of the different materials we're sharing with PFEC members, including some of the recordings of certain presentations shared at PFEC meetings. And so that's a resource for community members who are interested, um, as well as Park Board. And we put the agendas and different handouts there because we want to make sure that those resources are available to folks. Um, and I really appreciate Park Board Member Holland's time being on PFEC, and I know that I'm, I'm sure he will be sharing updates with Park Board members as well. So that is what I had to share tonight. Um, I don't know if anyone has any questions at all. If anyone has any questions, feel free to just go ahead and come off mute you aren't able to raise the hand function on your Zoom. Okay. I don't see any questions. I would like to just give kudos, Hillary, to you and everyone else that's been working on the PFAC. As I was reading the packet and reading the, especially the, uh, um, the charter, one of the things that I was really um, just continually impressed by was the level of um, support the city is putting into place to really get folks engaged and to feel comfortable giving their feedback. Um, I saw one section where, um, you know, staff even city could provide not just translation interpretation support, but also transportation and childcare. I think that that is pretty significant in helping uh, community members overcome typical barriers to really being engaged. Um, so yeah, kudos to that. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank Any you. other questions? 
Mike, I think you wanted to give a little insight into your experience so far. Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to, just, just a couple of moments. Um, so again, um, I am your designee to the PFEC committee, and I've attended two meetings as Hillary just talked about. Um, I have been really, really impressed so far with the quality of these meetings, uh, 45 members. And what's really impressive to me is the level of commitment PCS has shown to this process. They have 16 employees who are actively engaged um, in this, in this um, uh, PFEC initiative. They've, they've been at some of these meetings and have, have spoken about uh, done park tours. Very, very impressive, the commitment that PCS is providing to this, uh, this committee. Um, so my role on this is to be an act, obviously an active member of the, uh, the, the PFEC committee, but I'm also gonna be coming back to you, my fellow park board members and sharing information uh, because the park board is going to play a big, has played a big role already, and will continue to play a big role uh, in this whole process. Uh, some of the foundational pieces that the PFEC will be using is the pros plan that we, we worked on for the last year. Uh, community input, we that was all part of the pros project. So. Um, so we, the park board and, the, and PCS has had major, major input into this process, which is, which is quite, um, quite, uh, quite impressive. Um, so again, um, I'm gonna be coming to you with information. If you have information you would like some answers to, or you have thoughts, you can email me and I'll uh, try to get, get back to you with what I, what I, what I know, what I can do, but, but I'm looking at this be a, a collaborative effort um, I am your representative, so I want to be. I want to. I want to uh, to work in that in that uh, in that manner. Um, one last comment is the the PFEC committee is comprised of. Looks like it's one, two, three, four, five, um, six neighborhood associations have. Uh, members on the committee. So as you go out to your neighborhood association meetings, keep in mind that you might have a person already, and you know, one of our jobs when we go to the neighborhood associations is to share information. Obviously this, this whole uh, ballot measure initiative is a big, big piece of information sharing that the park board members will be talking about. <clears throat> but so, the, you know, it's the Highlands, Lakeview, Moss Bay, Market, Finn Hill, and North Rose Hill already has representatives. So you can work with those people and um, jointly maybe make, make updates to your associations. So um, any questions for me at this point? And if you, uh, if you come up with a question, just email it to me. I'll try to get back to you. Thank you. Thanks, Amanda. Oh, thank you, Mike. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and move us on to our next item of business.
Um, where are we at? Sarah, the Recreation Summer Review by Sarah, Sh Sarah Schellenbarger, our Recreation Manager, uh, will give us a presentation. All right. This shared here for you all. Um, all right, so yeah, I wanted to share a little review of the summer. Um, so I've got about 10 slides tonight. Um, wanted to share some high level summer program participation numbers, um, chat a little bit about how recreation has continued to recover from COVID. That's been an ongoing process, um, as it has been for all of us individually as well. Um, and then I want to share about a couple of challenges that we faced over the summer, also related to COVID, but um, um, as well as staffing and recruitment challenges. And then I want to share about some successes in a few of our um, pilot uh, programs from this summer. So to start out, this is a little uh, snapshot of what our summer programs looked like this summer. And I, I know the numbers are really hard to read on this screen. I couldn't make them um, bigger, but I, I want to call your attention to the, the two big green pie slices. Um, the bottom one is youth camp and the upper light green pie slice is aquatics programs. And the vast majority of those represent swim lessons. Um, so you can see on here just how um, much summer camps and aquatics programs really make up our summer activity. Um, in addition to these other ones, adult programs and sports, um, older adult programs, other youth programs and sports, preschool programs and teen programs. Um, altogether, we had um, 7,700 participants for the summer and offered uh, over 1,000 programs, 1,070. And of those programs, over half of them were aquatics and, and lessons, um, and almost a quarter of those were summer camps. Um, and I also want to mention we had over 15,000 people on wait lists for summer programs. Um, 10,000 of those people were on wait lists for swim lessons, um, and they were represented by about 1,500 unique individuals. So those 1,500 people wanted to be in swim lessons so badly that they were on wait lists for 10,000 10, different spots. Um, and the other 5,000 uh, waitlist attendees were, were primarily for our in-house um, day camps and tennis and swim camp, and then several of our um, more popular contracted summer camps. We have an ice skating camp that's very popular, some sports camps, um, but there were also people on waitlists for preschool programs and adult programs, um, older adults, uh, sports, teen programs as well. So. Um, Every, everyone was interested in getting more uh, recreation program participation. Uh, we also had some programs that returned for the first time since 2019 this summer. Um, this included swim team, uh, kids triathlon, um, aqua leaders, which is a program for young people to volunteer at the pool and kind of get a sense of um, what goes into teaching swim lessons and what it's like to work at the pool. Um, so you'll, you'll notice that a number of these are at the pool and that's because of the capacity limitations that we had last year made it uh, logistically challenging to offer swim team and aqua leaders. So we're glad to have those back. Um, and then we've seen a big increase in rental requests as well. People wanting to use um, indoor facilities in particular uh, for private gatherings, social gatherings, that sort of thing. 
And then um, COVID recovery has also been happening at PKCC in a, in a different way. Um, so, you know, we've had different community members with different comfort levels in returning to participate in uh, recreation programs coming out of the pandemic. And older adults in particular, and very understandably, have been slower to return. So um, this summer, though, we've, we've been seeing growth in their participation um, in programs and services at PKCC. Um, in particular, uh, we've had the return of in-person uh, congregate lunches. These had been takeout only during COVID and they returned in June over the summer. And uh, these nutritious lunches are provided through Catholic Community Services Senior Nutrition Program. Uh, they're offered four days a week at PK um, and we typically have between 25 and 55 people each day coming in for lunch. Uh, we've also had the return of a self-service coffee station um, and participation in van trips and other programs for older adults has also been increasing this summer. Our book club has been popular. Um, we have coffee hour support groups that are full, um, a good turnout for steppers program and other health and wellness classes. And then we've just seen an increase in um, drop in use of the facility each week as well. Um, so one of the challenges um, that we face is uh, staffing, um, finding staff. So if, if you recall those two big green pie slices that we saw, we do a lot of aquatics and camp programming in the summer and those program areas each require a lot of staff. Um, and these are seasonal summer jobs. So we're primarily hiring high school and college students who have school commitments on either end of the summer to work around. Um, but we hire about 90 aquatic staff each year. They need certifications and trainings to do their job. Um, and you may have heard that a lot of other agencies around the country and also in the greater Seattle area have really struggled to find um, lifeguard staff and have subsequently struggled to keep their beaches and, and pools open. Um, that's been a, a challenge that we've seen um, for the last couple of years. And we in Kirkland have been very fortunate to have a really high retention rate for our aquatic staff. Um, a lot of our staff start as lesson participants and they volunteer as part of the Aqua Leaders program. Um, they join as swim instructors or lifeguards and grow into summer leadership positions. But it is a struggle for us to remain competitive, especially with wages and inflation. Um, and then we also hire about 20 camp staff to run day camps and our tennis and swim camp. Um, and for consistency throughout the summer, we ideally like to hire staff who are willing to work 40 hours a week so that we've got you know, the same folks showing up each day for our camp participants. Um, and we've seen a trend recently where young people are less interested in working for a full-time summer job um, with us. So, so for us, that means that we need to hire additional staff to fill in, which requires a greater investment in training and onboarding. So it's a little bit of a shift in how we're um, hiring and operating with our staff structure. And it's also been challenging to find program instructor staff, um, such as dance instructors, preschool, tumbling teachers, um, those types of positions. Um, and we've struggled to hire staff to work evening and weekend shifts at the community centers and heritage hall to cover um, rentals, which is tough because we're getting those um, kind of increased rental requests, people wanting to get out and get together and looking to use um, our facilities. So we've had to kind of change our practice and tell folks that we can't confirm the rental unless we have um, 
staff that we can find. So, you know, it is it is tough market right now. We know we're not the only agency that's struggling with recruitment. Um, we're working closely with our human resources department to recruit. We do a lot of outreach and advertising, um, participation and job fairs where we can rely on um, word of mouth, um, but this is an, an ongoing uh, challenge for us. And then uh, COVID continued to be a challenge for the team throughout the summer as well. Um, we've consistently followed guidance from King County and adapted our programs to meet uh, public health recommendations. And this summer, particularly early in the summer, we had a lot of staff who were impacted and out sick. So um, we had to have a lot of program cancellations because our instructors were out sick. Um, we had um, instances also where instructors were exposed but hadn't received their booster. And so that meant they needed to isolate for five days. And um, so just a, lo a lot of program impacts. Um, we also had a, a few days where we had to cancel um, day camps because we had multiple staff who are out and then we had a particularly challenging um bout at one of our community centers where we were already short staffed and we had um, two of our three remaining people out um, so operationally this was a major challenge for us this summer just to keep programs running to keep summer camps going um, with limited staffing and then we had participant illnesses that didn't necessarily impact um, program operations, but did require staff time to collect information, make sure families were notified and um, could keep themselves safe. Um, so next, I want to highlight uh, some program successes and some brand new program areas that were piloted this year, thanks to some one time uh, grant funding primarily. So one of those was mobile rec. Um, this was really about bringing recreation to the people. Um, so we had staff in a uh, wreck and roll, which is what we called it, our minivan, wreck and roll van, that visited a different uh, park or neighborhood each week throughout the summer, bringing games and crafts and activities um, to youth. This was a free drop-in program. We provided water and hats and sunscreen and lunch and snacks to participants. Um, we really didn't want food access to be a barrier. We didn't want cost or transportation to be a barrier, um, as it is for many families to participate in summer programs. And it was also designed to have activities that were suitable for older and younger kids. So if um, older kids had younger siblings that they needed to care for during the summer, they could both participate in this program. Um, and we estimate we had about 200 participants come through our Wreck and Roll program this summer. Um, this was a grant funded program with funding coming from the Association of Washington Cities as part of the SEEK fund. And it was uh, the grant was specifically designed to support outdoor recreation programs for youth. Um, and we had another uh, program that was funded through the same grant. This was an outdoor recreation program for teens. Um, and this program included 16 trips over the summer, um, uh, hikes of varying lengths, uh, river floating trips, kayaking on Lake Washington, outdoor yoga, nature walks. Um, this program was also free, also designed to reduce barriers to participation in recreation programs. Um, and our outreach for this program really focused on uh, reaching youth who may not have access to outdoor recreation, may not have the gear for it, may not feel welcome in outdoor spaces due to systemic racism and inequality. That was really a focus to, um, to connect with those youth. 
Um, and this program was designed to get kids comfortable with nature, to gain confidence and skills in outdoor settings, um, and really to socialize with their peers coming out of a period of isolation, social isolation due to COVID. Um, this program also included uh, transportation, lunches, snacks, water bottles, hats, um, sunscreen. Um, we also provided backpacks for youth, so they had they had that hiking gear, um, as well as hiking boots for kids who didn't have uh, proper footwear to hike. Um, and this was just an incredible program. We had um, 200 teens participate throughout the summer. Um, we had participants who came on multiple hikes over the summer who, who grew immensely um, throughout that time. Our um, staff have shared about teens who recently moved to the US whose English skills improved over the summers. They participated in these um, hiking trips. Staff also saw teens just come out of their shell and make friends and gain confidence in, their, in themselves. So this was a really impactful program that we hope to be able to offer again in the future. Um, and I also want to mention that we hired five uh, high school interns as part of these two grant programs. Um, and for most of those students, it was their very first job experience. So they learned a lot about communication and commitment and responsibility that goes along with having a job. Um, but they also learned to lead activities as part of the mobile rec program. Um, they led icebreakers with their peers on the hiking trips and I think um, gained a lot from that experience. So uh, lastly, I want to highlight the monthly teen nights that we've been offering since June. Um, these have been uh, also a, a pilot program um, with funding that was reallocated from the KTUB operating budget for this year. Um, each of these has had a different um, theme. They've also been free and, and just very well attended and something, um, again, that we hope to continue in the future. The picture on here is our giant LED screen that was used for a video game tournament at um, NKCC in August. So we had a whole bunch of kids come up and um, play a Super Smash Bros tournament, which was quite fun. So um, with that, I will pause for questions or comments. I don't see any hands come up or anyone else coming off of mute. Oh, Mike, yes, go ahead. Thank you. Um, so Sarah's presentation was quite quite enlightening to me. Um, one of the things that we as a park board have talked about before is why is there such huge wait lists for recreational programs in Kirkland? And, and Sarah did a great job talking about some of the challenges that uh, we face. Um, as part of my, my new job with the, the, the PFEC um, committee, uh, the second meeting included a, a, a presentation at the Peter Kirk pool. And they talked in detail about what it really takes to run a pool. Um, it's only open three months a year, June through, through Labor Day. They have to hire 95 people every summer. Then they have to go through a certification process, 30 hours for new people, 
eight hours for um, returning people, but they all have to be certified or recertified. Um, I was blown away with the level of, of work it took just to open up the pool then to run a pool. So it's not surprising to me that we had this gigantic wait list. I think Sarah said 10,000 people on the wait list for classes. I mean, that was a staggering number. But when you look at what's, uh, what it takes to run that, that facility and how short a time frame it's open, it's not surprising. Still, they still managed to run 598 swim programs. I mean, that's really impressive for what they've done. That is, and now I'm coming back to where I wanted to, where they wanted, where I wanted to go was, it's not surprising that in our pros work this year, the number one criteria that needed to be addressed was the aquatic center. And there's a prime example that Sarah just talked about why that, why the people of Kirkland feel that way. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for that insight. That's very interesting. Crystal? Yeah, just a quick question. Is it Parks and Rec employees that operate the pool or is that a separate department at the city? It is our department. So our team works closely with Jason's team. Um, yeah. our, our folks do the programming and Jason's team helps with all the equipment and um, chemicals and yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Any other questions? I do, I do have a, a couple of questions. And in full disclosure, I did reach out to Sarah in advance and let her know what my questions were going to be. Um, because I just, yeah, wanted to give her a heads up. This isn't a, a gotcha moment. And um, they're meaningful questions. And so I wanted her to have some time to, to be able to, to explore if she needed to. Uh, one of the things that I was really, so I don't know how many of you read the Parks and Recreation magazine that comes out every month. I'll be honest, I don't every month um, or most months, <laughs> but this month um, the headline caught my eye. Um, the article was creating an inclusive environment. And it was a really, it had really great examples of recreation staff um, in different areas, not Kirkland, but different areas creating an, in an inclusive environment specifically for LGBT plus youth. And that really um, prompted some curiosity on my part. And so I reached out to Sarah. Um, but I was just curious how Kirkland rec staff um, are responsive to supporting uh, LGBT plus youth and adults um, as they participate in programming. I flipped through our recreation guide and I found some really great examples of inclusion, um, both language and pictures. For example, the mermaid ball that is coming up um, or has happened, I'm not sure, um, 
it's essentially exactly what it sounds like, a mermaid ball. Um, but it says all genders and gender identities welcome. Come with the adult guardian of your choice. And I thought that was wonderful. I also noticed on the dream team cheer swap squad description that it had a picture of not just a single gender, which would probably be targeted toward cheer, but it included a picture of, of, of more than one gender. So I thought that that was also great. I also noticed throughout it said, ask us about our scholarship programs. So I think that's awesome. But where I was curious is there are certain gender specific programming like our youth basketball, our boys youth basketball league, our girls youth basketball league, our men's soccer. And I'm just curious, um, are those, is that programming, um, open to folks who are non-gendered or transgendered and, and how do part staff um, approach that if it has happened or when it does happen? Uh, thank you so much, man. I think these are really excellent questions and a really great topic. And this is an area where I think we've made improvements, but there's still, there's still a lot of change needed and growth needed. Um, but as you mentioned, the, the mermaid ball wording change, that's, that's, relatively new. It's from, I think, just this last year. Um, we had that previously identified as a, a father-daughter dance, and so we've eliminated that language. Um, and as you noted, made, you know, made sure that we are um, noting that all genders and gender identities are welcome. Um, another example this year where we've made a change, we realized that we had um, hip-hop dance class descriptions that had really unfortunate gender stereotypes in them. We had a girl's um, class and a boy's class and the girl's class referenced, I think, creativity and self-expression in the description and the boy's class referenced um, athleticism. So much more, you know, very different tone. And so that was um, a really important learning moment for our staff. And I'm, I'm really grateful for our team. And it was actually someone outside of our recreation um, division who noticed this and spoke up about it. Um, so we are we are learning and we are adapting and, and making changes. So we now have a, a youth hip hop class with no reference to gender um, that is fully inclusive for all participants. Um, and there's still other places where we need to make changes. The Youth Basketball League is a really great example. We do have um, a, a boys and a girls league, and we've asked participants to register based on their gender preference and how they identify, but um, those binary categories don't leave space as they're currently written for non-binary youth. Um, we also have, as you mentioned, our adult sports, we have um, like in volleyball, we have a a men's league and a women's league and a co-ed league, um, which again, might not create space for everyone to feel comfortable participating. But we absolutely do want um, people of all genders and gender identities, including non-binary and trans folks to feel comfortable participating in rec programs to know they are welcome, um, to know they are accepted here. And I know we can do more to communicate that to those communities. Um, one of my goals this winter is to develop an inclusion statement to help us convey that um, to convey that our programs and our services are safe spaces for LGBTQ plus community members, as well as our BIPOC community immigrants, English language learners, people who are differently able to really make sure that we are um, welcoming everyone um, to participate. So thank you, Amanda. It's a really great, great yeah. topic. Appreciate you bringing it up. Thank you. So it sounds like currently, especially with those adult sports, um, open to transgender individuals. It, they can sign up for whatever. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Cool. 
Um, next question, has there been any feedback that you're aware of from the community around specific requests for LGBTQ plus programming or inclusion or? I don't think so. The, the only, um, the only uh, item I was thinking of is when Reggie did um, the teen survey last fall. I know one of the um, items that came out in that survey from teens was an interest in LGBTQ plus kind of specific programming. Um, yeah. yeah. Can you um, share who Reggie is? I'm, yes, I'm sorry. Reggie is our uh, youth services coordinator, and you may have remembered her. Some of you may have met her from last fall. She came and helped present on um, kind of these teen programs that we have since piloted, and she also oversaw the um, high school intern program that supported those two pilot programs this summer. And she's phenomenal. Yes. <laughs> she is my coworker, so I know firsthand. Um, Thank you, um, Sarah, for being willing to, to talk about that. Um, I know we were talking about programming and this is something that has come up and I know it is a very important issue to the city of Kirkland and the values. And um, I have an expiration date on this board and I just wanted to, to make sure that I looked that up and I hope that um, that will continue. I do. I did think of another question that I didn't tell you before, so I don't want to put you on the spot. <laughs> if you don't have the answer, that's okay. But do you happen to know the usage of scholarship programs over the summer and what that looked like? I don't know, like specific to summer programs, um, but we did just recently pull some data together from 2022 year to date. And we have had, um, let me, let me grab it really quick, actually. I think we've had 142, I want to say, participants. Um, people take advantage of the scholarship program just this year so far. Um, let's see here. I know I have this, there it is. <laughs> um, okay, 2022, 151 scholarship re recipients um, that represents 50 families, 5-0. Um, there was over, this is year to date as of September, some early September over $15,000 scholarship dollars that were awarded to those recipients. Um, looks like 74 scholarship recipients that went forward and registered for classes. So when a, when a family applies, everyone is approved, but then it might be just one person in the family who um, signs up for a class, for example. And then we've received about 8,000 um, donations, scholarship donations this year. Um, and so this, this, these numbers have already surpassed our totals for 2021. So we expect this appears to be a higher demand um, for the scholarship program than what we saw in 2021. Excellent. Thank you, Sarah. Mm -hmm. Any other questions that were prompted? I have a question, but kind of yeah. going on a tangent. Sarah, where do those donations come from? They um, they come from a couple different places. Um, we, this last year made a change in how we are, one of the things we do when people check out when they register for a recreation program in our civic rec software is we, we ask them if they would like to contribute to 
the scholarship fund, basically, if they'd like to make a donation to that program. And we, we tweaked the wording a little bit, and we've seen a big increase in those donations over the last year or so. Um, and then we also have donations that come through Benevity. And I think um, Heather knows more about who those donations are, um, who, who's submitting those, but um, I believe it's a corporate giving kind of platform that people can use to contribute. Yeah. yeah, a lot of those are from corporate giving for uh, volunteer match times. So yeah, yeah, okay. Just wondering. Thank you. Yeah, great question. One other thing, I sent it to you in the chat, Sarah. But one other thing that we've done is we've enabled the uh, gender, oh, thank you. the yeah. inclusive gender options in our registration software, so you can select male, female, or non-binary as an option. Um, we just probably haven't, like Sarah mentioned, some of our programs haven't fully caught up to how we categorize them. But that is, a, that is an option in the system. Thank you. Yeah. Good question, Tessa. Any other thoughts bubble up? I had one other um, item for uh, Tessa, your question. Heather reminded me too that city council allocated dollars for the scholarship fund. They allocated $50,000 in the 21-22 biennium. So that was a huge, um, huge pot of money to help get that pro that um, program funded. And I think at the, the the rate that we are spending those dollars right now, I think our fund is healthy for the next seven years or so, which is great. Thank you. Anything else? Okay, no other questions. I will now open the next item of business. The KTUB update with Jen Boone, Human Services Manager, and Sarah Schellenbarger, Recreation Manager, again, will give us an update and presentation. Wonderful. Yeah, hello again. We have Jen here. I don't, Jen, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to be here tonight. My name is Jen Boone. I'm the Human Services Manager here at the City of Kirkland. I have the pleasure of working with all these lovely folks you get to see on a monthly basis and now get to work with Amanda Judd. So happy to be here tonight to share a little bit about KTUB and the current vision. All right, so I'm going to jump into a brief history about KTUB. So KTUB stands for the Kirkland Teen Union Building. This was a building that was opened in 2001, and it was really driven by the community request for a space that was specifically dedicated to supporting Kirkland youth. And one of the things I think that's really special about this space, and we mentioned Reggie Schubiger earlier, who was really involved in supporting youth and being at the very forefront of developing the creation, the design, and the programming vision for this space. And so that, that area was really driven by youth engagement and voice to be able to create a space that all youth could access to kind of meet a variety of needs that the Kirkland community was really driving. So this space was opened in 2001 and Friends of Youth, which is a partner of the city and one of, I would say, the leaders in providing a variety of services for youth with a specific focus on youth that are at risk or experiencing homelessness. They held the first lease and they operated um, a lease for about 10 years, so until 2010. And at that point, the YMCA actually took over 
and begin a new lease. And a variety of services and programs and partnerships were involved, but there was a primary operator, um, but there were a variety of programs that were um, offered where you know, it was programming for maybe youth that were experiencing homelessness. They had clothing closets. They offered opportunities for youth to develop skills when it came to employment, a variety of programs and services to meet kind of the collective and individual needs of youth in the community. Um, the YMCA's lease ended in 2020, and as that lease was slated to end, the city started to take a look at the center to see if it was still meeting the needs of the community after being online for about 20 years. And so just as about city staff were about to kind of reassess and look at the current needs and we're looking at opening a request for proposal process, COVID hit. And that kind of halted um, all kind of activities by the city and being able to release that proposal and kind of disrupted a lot of the services that um, were currently being offered. The city was able to support a lot of the programs and activities that were happening at the center in different ways throughout the community. So whether it was supporting um, a partner moving into a different space or being able to provide additional funding um, to support it in a new capacity. There were a lot of different ways that we were able to continue and not disrupt the um, program and activity needs for youth. Studio East did approach the city um, in 2020 um, to specifically request um, to lease the space. And so they were granted that and they are currently under an active lease um, that is slated to end in May of 2023. And again, recognizing as um, the pandemic is lifted is lifting, and that lease will be ending, just, you know, in summer of 2023, um, the city has restarted that request for proposal process, which is why we're here tonight um, to kind of achieve the vision of being able to offer a comprehensive teen center for youth here in the community. So um, as Jen mentioned, we've, we've restarted that RFP process this year. Uh, we gave uh, organizations a two-month um, response window to put a comprehensive proposal together. So that was open between August and September. Um, and during that time, we offered a couple of tours of KTUB, invited people to come in and see the space and understand um, how they might be able to operate it. And then we had a couple of question and answer um, periods that were open as well. So we, we took questions in and, and posted, published those responses. And the um, proposal window closed at the end of September. We had uh, five responses that we received from organizations interested in operating uh, KTUB. And what's happening now and next is there is an evaluation team that has come together from um, the city representing staff within Parks and Community Services and also the city manager's office. Um, and those staff are completing a written evaluation of those five proposals with the evaluation criteria that's outlined in the RFP. 
with the goal to then identify the top one to three proposals based on how that written evaluation scores. Um, so that that's why there's kind of a, a, a range in numbers there, but we anticipate identifying between one and three finalists. And then those finalists will be invited for interviews um, towards the end of this month, early November. Um, we would like to get feedback from stakeholders like the park board um, and then um, the final decision will go to Council, so we anticipate recommending a uh, top proposal from the that interview process and getting feedback from stakeholders and then Council would have. Um, that that kind of finalist proposal go to them. And I'm not sure if folks have had an opportunity to read the RFP, but we wanted to highlight the city's um, vision for KTUB. So if you are looking at the RFP, this is reflected in the scope of services um, section of that RFP. But the city would like KTUB to operate as a comprehensive teen center offering both programs and services for teens. Um, two of the primary goals that were identified in the RFP scope of services were providing a safe space for teens and facilitating facilitating positive social interactions. Some of the ways that this might be accomplished include uh, recreation and physical activity, um, art and music programs, um, life skills, uh, workshops and, and support, um, job and academic support, um, and then for services really looking at behavioral health services and drug and violence uh, prevention. And then I'm just going to do a little bit of a deep dive and expand on what Sarah just talked about. So the city's vision for KTA really falls under the human services element um, within the comprehensive plan. And within the element, there are several goals and policies that really broadly define the city's role and how we best support the diverse needs of the Kirkland community. And this supports, you know, the provision of services that um, we can offer and also fund that really support different priority populations or communities that may be considered at risk. And so one of the populations that is identified within the comp plan of the human services element are youth. And there's several policies that drive the overall goal, but the one here that I wanted to focus in on is 3.1, which is really about the community coming together to support youth, to make them feel included, to make sure that their needs are met and that they're able to be active members in the community beyond and kind of aging out of that youth phase. And so the one I wanna focus on specifically is around KTUB. Um, and it is coordinate with KTUB to provide a safe place for youth to provide recreation, educational, and social programming. And there are several areas that kind of outline what that would look like. Sarah mentioned a lot of them, um, but it is really creating a safe place for teens to be able to get their needs met. So whether it's coming together and getting to build a larger social network, being able to participate in enrichment classes or learn a new skill set that helps them prepare to enter into employment, employment um, when they're ready, being able to focus on programs around safe driving. Um, it also allows a space for multiple partners in the community to come together to provide a variety of programs and services that can meet a variety of needs. So whether that's focused on social services, so as Sarah mentioned, access to behavioral health services or maybe food access or a clothing closet if they have an interview for a job, 
um, being able to, um, again, I want promote healthy lifestyles as well. So with a focus on after school activities, as well as on the weekends and being able to encourage them to engage in safe and healthy and positive choices, recognizing, I think, especially for this age group, there are a lot of activities that could potentially um, create um, risk for youth. And so being able to offer um, opportunities for them to engage with their peers in healthy activities is a huge focal point for this center. And then if youth are engaging in potentially higher risk behaviors, being able to have those resources available and on site to be able to connect them with the tools they need to be able to strive for that healthy lifestyle. So we are talking about the city's vision for KTUB tonight because we want you as park board members to be prepared to provide feedback on those uh, top one to three proposals in the future. So um, by the time we get to the next park board meeting on November 8th, we will have narrowed down our, our five proposals to those top one to three, and we will share those proposals with park board, and we will ask for your feedback on those. And, and we'd like you to particularly think about which proposal best achieves the city's vision um, to provide that comprehensive uh, uh, programming and services for teens in Kirkland. And we're doing a similar process with the Human Services Commission um, to, to go, go to their meetings and bring forward the proposals. And then we'll do um, a similar process as well with the Kirkland Youth Council. Um, and those will happen also in October and November this fall. And then I want to highlight too that the city is also preparing a proposal to operate KTUB um, with our department's expertise from Jen and her team in human services and connections to service providers and the really good understanding of the community's human services needs. And then with recreation, um, you know, our team also has a lot of expertise in providing programming and in the past year has stepped up to fill that gap in teen programming. So um, we are also creating a proposal to, to operate KTUB, um, and this will be considered by council alongside that top external proposal. So we will give council kind of the final decision on um, deciding between those two options. Okay. And then just to quickly go over the timeline again, Sarah touched on a few of these, but the RFP did end the end of September. So as she mentioned, there's currently a written evaluation going that reflects what was outlined in the RFP. And following that process, we will come back to Park Board as well as engage the Human Services Commission, um, as well as the Youth Council for additional feedback on those one to three proposals that are identified. We'll then go to council um, to present on the top proposal in December, and we anticipate making a decision of who would be able to operate the lease in January, and it would have an anticipated start date of summer of 2023 once Studio East lease completes in May of 2023. All right, questions or comments?
Mike? I'm okay with waiting if somebody else has a has a question, but uh, if not, I, I do have some questions. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask my question just from ignorance because I don't I don't know the answer. So, um, has the city of Kirkland been happy with KTUB? Uh, during a second contract, this you know, the contract from 2010 to 2020, was Kirkland happy with what was done? I, I guess where I'm where I'm trying to go with my question is is what's going to change? What is what is the vision? I saw your vision in the RFP, and you and you talked about it tonight. But what's going to what if anything will change from what's in place? From the 2010 to 2020 contract with YMCA and how it was how it was operated, to the vision that you that you talked about tonight and also in the RFP, and, I, and I'm asking my question because I don't know what happened really well at all from the during the second 10-year contract. I can attempt to answer and then we'll invite fellow PCS staff to jump in. <laughs> and, and I know that's a hard question. I'm sorry to drop it on you. No, it's a very fair question. So I, I don't know that there is a big change in what we are looking for in an operator of KTUB with this 2022 um, RFP for an operating lease. But as Jen mentioned in 2019, the city was really looking at, are we, are we still meeting Kirkland teens needs? Um, you know, do we need to make any adjustments? And I think one of the things that, um, that we've really taken away coming out of COVID is how important mental health support for teenagers is. That was a really um, prevalent theme that came out of the teen survey that happened last year. And so I, I, I do think there's been a shift in those needs. Um, and so that might be a focus, but that's all that has for a long time been a part of the operation of KTUB. So, um, but I'll open it up, Lynn or John or Jen or anyone else who wants to jump in. I could add just a little bit on that. Sarah, Sarah hit the biggest um, reasons why we were making a change and, and that's uh, really such a change in the demographics of the city and huge changes in needs that we're seeing. And so it was time to really go out and see what services might be available. Um, <clears throat> other than that, one of the things that we wanna accomplish is really activating that facility for as many hours as possible. Uh, like it's essentially sitting during the day without any programming in it. And there could be more programming at that facility. So how do we better activate the facility and how can we essentially offer broader, more comprehensive services to the teens? Uh Thank you, Lynn and, and Sarah. That was really a great, great answer. Because um, I remember back in 2001 when I was here, uh, there was a, always seemed to be a lot of activity at KTUB, always a lot of kids there. And then it slowly declined. I didn't, I didn't, my impression, I didn't see that many people there during the second contract, the second tenure. And I wasn't sure why. I didn't know. 
no idea what was going on, why it dropped off, or it maybe maybe my impression is all off base. But I'm glad to hear, as Lynn, as you'd have talked about, that your goal is to make it um, maybe make during the daytime make it more more open to programs and those types of things. Because today I see it sitting empty and I don't see any kids there hardly at all. So. Do we have any metrics at all about usage of the of that facility? Current current usage from I mean, the current just, tenant, I, or I, you know, I'm just you know, when you have an RFP and you're trying to you're trying to satisfy a vision, how do you know if you're successful? Is it if 12 kids show up, or or is it the the type of programs? I mean, what what is the sure. metric that you know that you're successful? Yeah. So in in the RFP document, we listed some evaluation criteria that we're using to evaluate the, the written proposals to start. And then there's a, a separate set of criteria for the interview process. Um, but some mm -hmm. of the things that we are going to be looking at in the proposals are um, what is the depth and breadth of the programming and services that they are proposing to offer to teens? What areas are they reaching? What is their proposed um, operational plan? Um, what are their hours of operation? Um, what, how many people do they intend? To, did they anticipate serving through these different programs? Um, so those are those are some of the things. But you can take a look in the RFP to see because it's kind of a long list of things that we are looking at and evaluating and scoring them yep. on. I, I did look at the RFP. I read oh, the RFP. Wonderful. So I'm, yeah. I'm aware of the criteria is going to be evaluated. But I didn't have anything to base it base it on from previous usage and stuff. I just don't, mm. you know, I've don't, I have no I have no basis of asking questions or telling you, oh, that's great or not so good. I just don't know. Mike, we do have some reports from the YMCA from when they operated it, but in all honesty, we have very few. Okay, uh, that's that's fair, and that's what I expected. I mean, kids is always a very touchy topic on metrics and stuff. I mean, I understand all of that. Uh, how is how is KTUB funded? Is it, I know you have a contract with a new vendor, but what is, does City of Kirkland pay, pay for that? Or is it self-funded? Or I don't, yeah. I don't know how it operates. Yeah, good question. Um, previously, we were subsidizing the operations of KTUB and we had in the budget $160,000 a year to provide to the operator anything, any costs above and beyond that the operator needed to generate revenue for. And so they can do that through some fee generation, uh, but also through donations um, because the operator is a, a nonprofit and often is very active um, with seeking donations from the community. Um, so we currently still have $160,000 in the budget to work with, and that is going forward as well. One of the questions that we were asking from in the RFP, as you probably saw, is what type of support do they need from the city? Um, and so we have 160,000, but but what are they asking? Are they asking 500,000? Are they asking yeah. for nothing? Yeah. Um, so that that will be a point of evaluation as well. And ultimately, it's going to come to city council because if they're asking for more resources than what we currently have. 
or if we're asking for more resources than we currently have, uh, we have to go to council for that funding. Thank you. Any other questions? I have a question. Is it just a, a formality to do the get this do the RFP process? I mean, if the city is putting in a proposal, why wouldn't council just choose the city to take it over? It seems like a no-brainer, but I might this might be a naive question. I understand. No, it's a good question. Tessa, very good question. Um, conceivably, a, a private entity like a nonprofit organization could offer similar types of services that we could offer potentially with um, less expense, uh, especially as it pertains to getting donations, which is not something that we can do with the city. Uh, so there's just a couple of reasons there where it might be um, a very viable option. Also, simply speaking, it takes a cost off of the expense budget and, and moves it to an outside organization. Thank you. That was a really good question, Tessa. I'm glad you asked. Uh, Crystal. Will the um, proposals that we're going to be reviewing be included in the park board packet? before the meeting next month? Or will they just be presented during the meeting? We'll, sh we'll share them with the packet. Okay. Any other questions from other park board members? I do have a couple of questions. Oh, I see your hand is, oh wait, Mike, did you have your hand up? I did, but I'm gonna let you finish your questions, Amanda, if you're right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do have a few questions and I did not share these in advance. So hopefully that's fine. Um, one question actually that just popped up as you were answering other questions, are there, I looked through the evaluation process, the criteria, and um, the selection process. And I guess my question is, it's, it's a multiple part question, bear with me. I'm curious if there are potential vendors that have applied and their services would have a cost to participants. So Kirkland Youth would have to pay to, to participate in classes or anything like that. And if there are, um, I don't see it in the selection criteria, but are those weighted differently than services that are gonna be able to be provided to residents at no cost to them? Does that make sense? It does. And yeah, I, that is not something that's reflected in the evaluation criteria, but I, I think that is something that will, um, factor into the more the services that are being provided, what kind of access to recreation programs will these different proposals offer um, to teenagers? Okay, so there are potential um, vendors that are applying that it would be a cost associated to participate. Like that's not a criteria, like you can't it is, yeah, it is potential. There is a potential that the proposals do have a cost associated with their program delivery. Um, 
that yeah that isn't something that we we made any kind of requirement around that okay um the other question i had was around the submission requirements and it just kind of was a curiosity um i'm curious on the one uh requirement uh articulated strategy to establish and maintain positive and cooperative relationship with the kirkland police department if you could shed some light on that requirement yeah so i and i'm gonna look to some help for this one too because i i believe this came out of when we were looking in 2019 at um, revisiting the RFP for KTUB. That was right around the time where there was an incident at KTUB with the where the police were involved. And so there's a sensitive relationship there between KTUB and the police. And that's something that we would we would like to have a proactive relationship there um, where teens can be supported. Um, and I, I don't, Lynn or anyone else, if there's other things to comment. I'll on have that. Jen weigh in on, on this one. Yeah, I was going to say also within the human services component of the comprehensive plan, one of the goals outlined is youth's relationship with police in general. So I think, again, kind of alluding to youth can opt into riskier behavior that could um, put them in situations where they're interacting with police that maybe it's not a positive interaction. So I think the intent of KTUB being able to serve as a place where it could facilitate positive engagement, um, not just with police, but with other, you know, city staff and other community stakeholders that maybe there could be a barrier there um, and then wanting to access that kind of support. So outside of the one event that is something that's outlined in the comp plan. Were there any concerns with that requirement that it would limit potential nonprofit or potential organizations that maybe BIPOC led organizations um, to explore this opportunity? A great question. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I would hope that organizations would approach us during the Q&A period if that was a concern so that we could address okay. those questions. Um, we, we didn't receive any questions around that topic during the Q&A period. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. Um, last curiosity, um, and this is just, I'm curious, the three professional letters of reference. I'm just curious what that looks like for a program. Like, is that participants of the program providing recommendations? Is that, I don't know. You might not have an answer. I was just, I thought that was interesting. It, it is, yeah, there's a variety of kind of formats. I think that those come in for, um, for these RFPs and they might be from an individual or a participant or a parent or, um, Okay. or a supporting organization. And I did say that was the last question, but I promise, Crystal, this is my last question and then I'll call on you. Could you share a little bit more and, and maybe you touched on it and I apologize if I missed it in the presentation, what the evaluation team looks like, like who that's made up of? 
So it includes um, a, a relatively large team because we, we want to um, really be thorough in our evaluation and do our due diligence, um, but it includes uh, a folks from our department, our leadership team, recreation staff, human services staff, as well as um, Erica Mascoro from the city manager's office. She's the new DEIB manager of the city. Excellent. Thank you. Crystal. Thank you. Um, just one other question, or maybe a multi-part question. Is the goal to activate the space only for a, a teen for teen use? I think that it would be hard or difficult, or I don't I don't know. It, it seems like it would be to activate it during the day when teens are in the in the school year, anyways, teens are at school. Is there is there a hope that there could be multi-use of this facility so it's not sitting empty? Will that be part of the weighing process for the, the proposals? Yeah, so as, as Lynn mentioned, one of the things we're looking at is how we can maximize use of that facility. So, um, for example, for the city's proposal, we're looking at can we offer programs for other age groups during the day um, to get people in that building and to have that building be utilized, whether it's programs or services for preschoolers or for adults or kind of a, a variety. Any last questions? Mike. So I had more of a comment than a question. So uh, last fall, the park board had a very nice presentation from the youth council. Uh, they came to us and talked to us about um, the survey they had conducted among high school students, primarily at Lake Washington High School, but also at Inglemore and, uh, and Juanita High Schools. Um, and they presented the, their top six findings. And I was written, my, my comment is I'm really happy to see, listening to Sarah and Jen talk, that some of those findings have been incorporated into the RFP. And that was a good thing to see. So I was glad about that. And um, so thank you. That's all I had. Thank you, Mike. There being no further questions, uh, the business items uh, portion of the meeting is closed. Um, I will now open the communications portion of the meeting. Uh, we didn't have any correspondence uh, in our packet. Um, are there any questions about the monthly report? No, okay. Any uh, staff updates or information that you'd like to share with the board? Mary? Yeah, I want to um, let you know that we're going to have uh, a, the city council tour of 132nd Square Park on October 24th. And that's from 4.30 to 5.30. And we would love if we could have some representation from the park board at that. Um, if you could let me know if you would be uh, attending so I can let um, the coordinator of that, uh, that uh, outreach, um, let them know that you'll be attending. I'm sorry, Mary, can you share what that event is again? It's a site tour of 132nd Square Park. Oh. So you can see, um, 
where, where we at, where, where we are at. So you're going to see um, the beginning of the uh, synthetic turf being installed. Oh, okay. Yeah, I saw that in John's report that that was being announced. Okay. Mary, so when do you need to know? Bye. Sorry. When do you need to, when do you need oh. to hear from by, by the end of this week. Okay. Thank you. And, and Mary, what was the date of that of that event? Please date and time. October 24th, 4.30 to 5.30. But we may need to, because um, we need to separate the number of city council members, we would also need to do the same thing for the park board. If if you all came. <laughs> so just need to know um, if you'll be attending and then we'll work out the logistics of, of that. That's exciting. Thank you, Mary. Mm -hmm. Mike, did you have a question or is it a residual hand? Okay. Any other park or yeah, park staff updates? Um, otherwise, I mean, no, I don't want to repeat what's in the memo, but I provided a memo with some of the, the highlights of events coming up this month um, and other potential talking points in case you get any questions. So, thank you. Mm -hmm. That is very, very helpful when going to neighborhood association meetings. Okay, now is our turn for park board members to give any reports that they would like to share. That could include um, if you had a chance to go to any neighborhood association meetings, if you've had any conversations with folks in the community and want to lift up some feedback, other questions that have come up, um, or other opportunities you've had to engage in parks and recreation programs, now is an opportunity to share. Um, I just want to say that I know a few people that are on the PFIC committee and everybody that I've talked to has been really impressed with the level of professionalism and the, the meeting structure and their experience um, being on the committee so far, so far. So kudos to you guys. Everything seems like it's just really impressive what's been done so far and, and what's going to happen. So that's all. Thank you, Tessa. Anyone else? Um, I have a couple of things I just want to lift up. I've talked to a few people in the community um, who wanted kind of a, a park board perspective. Um, a gentleman from Livable Kirkland, I think that's a, a local uh, group that focuses on housing, transportation, walkability. Um, a lot of the questions he asked, including service levels, um, was I was able to point him to the pros plan. Um, there's, a, it, it was a, a heavy lift and I want to, uh, while I'm talking about it, give a shout out to Mary since the last time we met the city council, um, has adopted the pros plan and, uh, yeah, well done, Mary. Thank you so much. That was a lot of work. Um, and it is useful information. It's information that we can 
share with our neighbors as they have questions about, well, what does the city think about this? And what's the city's plan for that um, for the next six years? That's gonna be our roadmap to show them what our priorities are and what's important to us. Um, so kudos, Mary, thank you so much for that work. Um, I also had a resident reach out um, and I passed this on to Jason because um, it falls under his, pur his purview. Um, but just an interest in keeping the Holmes Point boat launch open uh, year round to be able to do kayaking. Um, so that's something that's important. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to Sarah. I had an opportunity to attend the Harvest Festival. It was a phenomenal organization. You and your team did a wonderful job. Um, there were lots of folks participating. There was something for everyone. Um, even if you didn't have children, I, I had a lot of fun. Um, and I know a lot of work went into that. I have also have gotten a lot of feedback from community members on how much they have enjoyed the pilot programs that you've done over the summer, especially the ones centered around teens. I've heard time and time again, um, just how much pre people love and appreciate the, the teen specific programming. And there's quite a bit that's happening. Um, and lastly, um, I signed up for a class, an oil painting class. It's my first um, time doing that in the recreation program. And so far, it's a blast with Jean at the Peter Kirk Community Center. Um, also, just if, in, if none of you have, have had a chance to peruse the recreation guide, there's a lot of fun programming. There's speakers. There's a Halloween bingo. There's just lots of just fun ways. And, and a lot of it is free too, to just engage. So highly recommend you check that out. I'm gonna pause and see if anything else pops up. No, okay. So we're gonna close the meeting. Comments from the chair. There's nothing more that I would like to add. Continued kudos to park staff. Um, for the work that you put in and also another happy birthday to Heather. Um, thank you for spending your evening with us. Um, with that, there's no further business. This meeting is adjourned. Thank you all. Thanks everybody. Good night everybody.